The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. Sue Baloo, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am good. So can you tell I'm using the blurred background? We're on YouTube now on our YouTube channel, uh, the Culture Pop Podcast channel. And uh, the blurred background thing is something I'm going to try today. Oh, OK. Now, what? why? Why not use what you usually use? Mm, I thought Just something try different? Some, yeah, try something new. You know, do, try something do you, new. Do you no- notice something different with me today? With my uh, background? You are in a different room, are you not? Yes, I am. Now, why did you move? Well, I did a couple of Zoom meetings in this room, and it's a little brighter. And when Tom's not here, I'm in my living room. I have free reign of the house. Oh, so that's I thought nice. I would just try something new. Excellent. Well, I think it's working for both of us. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I, I thought we would do, and we've got a great guest coming up, David Jesse, who's one of the stars of The Diplomat, which is on Netflix, starring Carrie Russell. We got that coming up for you. I thought, in the meantime, something we haven't really talked about on the show is that you and I both read. Yeah, people will be surprised to know that I do read. <laughs> yes, you do. You are you are a voracious, voracious reader. Yes. So I thought, how about we do the three books of our lifetime? In other words, the three books we read that that sort of that sunk in, that changed our way of viewing the world, uh, that had an impact, or just were really, really great stories that that moved us. And uh, Sue, I, I will, I will turn it over to you for number one. Okay, um, this is actually the first novel I read, and I read it when I was in elementary school, mm. and it was uh, recommended to me by my godmother, and it was called uh, "A Tree Grows in Brooklyn." And it was a um, really compelling story about a young girl who came from poverty, lived in the tenements, and there was a tree that was on that she could see out of her bedroom window, and it s- seemed to grow out of cement. So it was kind of a story of survival, and the tree was kind of a metaphor for, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you are, you can succeed. and. Um, and it, and, and you know, like I was born in Brooklyn, but I didn't really know Brooklyn that well because I moved when I was three years old. Right. So my memories of Brooklyn are kind of faint. Um, but it was the book that really, really, um, it completely got me interested in, in reading. And, um, it was just, you know, it's this it's iconic book. Yeah. It's an iconic book that a lot of, a lot of kids my age, especially girls read when they were really, really young. So now would a grown up read this book now, or is it, uh, is it sort of for kids? No, no, it's, it's, it was a novel. I mean, it was, it's, it's definitely for, for everybody. I mean, there are, there are adult characters in the book, 
Um, it's just well written. It was, it was just an amazing book. And Bessie Smith was an incredible writer. And it's somewhat based on, it's somewhat autobiographical to how she grew up. Excellent. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. So my number one is uh, a book by Garth Stein. It is called The Art of Racing in the Rain, which, you know, I read after, I, I believe in this concept called, and Juan disputes this with me all, all the time, uh, the, uh, the concept of the dog of your lifetime. Like I, I've, I've had many dogs. I, I love all of them, but there's one that sort of feels like the dog of my lifetime. And that was Hollis, who you knew, who lived yes. in New York with me. Mm-hmm. So after Hollis passed away, um, I, somebody recommended this book called The Art of Racing in the Rain. And I said, I don't want to read a book where a dog dies right now. Uh, and, uh, the, they said, no, it's, it's very optimistic. It's a very optimistic book. So I read the book and it's told through the eyes of this dog named Enzo. Have you read this book? It was my second on my list. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Ta- talks about, and it's through the eyes of this dog named Enzo and you get that interesting perspective. And obviously Garstein did research about what dogs love and, you know, the smells they like and being out in the, after a rain and all that stuff. Uh, and it just captured me in a way that helped me to resolve my sorrow over the loss of Hollis. And I remember finishing this, want to laugh about this. Uh, I remember finishing this book in a cafe in Italy and just bawling my eyes out to the point where he decided I'm going to go to a different table. I'm, I'm (laughs) moving. I don't want to be with this person who's crying so much. Uh, So it is, it is that moving a book and absolutely love it. It's on your list too. It is on my list too. It was recommended to me by um, a DP that I worked with when I was at MTV. I know I worked with him on newlyweds. He may have worked on, on the Osbournes and he's into, um, race car driving. Oh, nice. That's his favorite sport. And when he told me the title, The Art of Racing in the Rain, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not really interested in uh, race car, you know, kind of stories. And he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he knew that I love dogs. He says it's, it's more than that. It's much more than that. And, um, I, I love the book. And, you know, anytime there is a story, that is told through the eyes of a dog. Yeah. Um, first in line. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah. great. So strong recommend, obviously, from both of us on that one. All right. So since I took one of yours, I'll do, I'll do one of mine. Um, the, my last, my second two books are very interrelated. Um, at least in my mind, like, you know, how a great, uh, Quentin Tarantino runs a great, uh, repertory house called the New Beverly in uh in Hollywood where he'll pair movies together based on how well they fit and how the themes complement each other and how they sing. So that's how I feel about these two books, even as radically different as they are. So the first one is called The Alchemist. It is written by Paolo Coelho. Uh it is the story of a a little boy who is off searching for his meaning in life what he's supposed to doing, what Paolo Coelho uh, would describe as his personal legend. And it takes him on this journey all the way. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to spoil anything because you should really read this book. In fact, this book strongly recommended by Phil Jackson, former head coach 
of the Los Angeles Lakers. At some point in his career, handed out um, Paulo Coelho, the alchemist, to everybody on the team. It's that kind of book. Have you read it? I have. Yes. I just love this great book. book. Yeah, 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 love yeah, this yeah. Book. And then the the follow up, and I'll just because they're tied together. So the alchemist is about searching. Mm-hmm. So is the old man in the sea by Ernest Hemingway. So I won the Pulitzer Prize, I think, like in 1954, uh, and it's about this fisherman who catches like the fish of the fish of his lifetime, right? This this unbelievable sailfish, and he battles it for a couple of days, and it's his internal struggle with trying to land this fish while he's thinking about the important points in his life and how maybe he should have fought harder or what his life is going to be like after he catches this fish. And again, no spoilers, but an unbelievable book. But I almost look at it as here is this little boy in The Alchemist searching, trying to find the meaning of his life while um, in Old Man in the Sea, here's this old fisherman trying to do exactly the same thing. So if it was a double feature, like at the New Beverly, I think it would be a great double feature. First, The Alchemist, then Old Man in the Sea. Cool. I, well, I love Hemingway. I mean, when I, when I was in uh, France, I bought a movable feast. Oh, yeah. And read that while I was there. And That's very cool. Yeah, it was great. And went to a lot of the places that he went to when nice. he lived there. Yeah, it was very cool. I did that down in uh, Colombia. I was reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and uh, who I love. Um, and I was outside of his house when I finished one of his books. And I thought that is the coolest thing to have actually been at that place while I finished the book. I thought it was really cool. Um, so my third book is uh, called A Yellow Raft in Blue Water. Mm, I don't know it. It's by Michael Doris, who was, um, there's a lot of uh, controversy over his heritage. Uh, he claimed to be part American Indian. Um, but anyway, he lived, uh, he, he adopted American Indian uh, children. And um, he wrote this story about three different generations of women in the same family. And it was all through each one of their perspectives mm. of how life was through each other's eyes. Right, right. And I just, it, the, the book is amazing. I think it was his first novel and he won, you know, many awards for it. Um, but what I loved about it is that I didn't really, at the time that I read it, I didn't really know a lot about American Indians in their plight, um, especially with alcohol fetal syndrome, which he later wrote a book about that mm. I think maybe won a Pulitzer Prize. Anyway, but it was just the fact that it was a man writing a book about three women, mm. different stages of their, you know, of, of each of their lives. Um, I was so impressed with it because it was so insightful and, um, and just an, just an incredible story. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, someone will give you their take on like what happened and then someone else's take is completely different. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and, and it was just very, very compelling and a great, and a great book. And, and again, I mean, he was just an incredible writer. So, so do you read more fiction or nonfiction? 
I kind of read more nonfiction, but um, I'm starting to write, I'm starting to read a little bit more fiction and I'm actually starting to go back to classics. Like there, there's, there's a bunch of um, Hemingway books. Like I, I never read the sun also rises. I, I, I never read that. So I'm kind of going back and reading right. books, you know, um, and I'd like to reread Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I reread I it a couple of years ago. It, it's still very uh, fascinating and disturbing. Both. Yeah. Yeah. It's but got I, a little I, of both. Well, one of the books, actually, you, you picked a fourth book. I, I only did three, but one of the books, and I, I love sports books. Yes. Um, I love season, season on the brink. I like, you know, one of my favorite, all-time favorite sports book was Friday Night Lights. Oh, I never read the book. Oh, my God. It is so amazing. And I like the series. I never saw the movie. The series was really Oh, great. the movie was fantastic. It was? Okay. Yeah, it was fantastic. The book was so great. Um, and, and actually, the author got a lot of shit from the, from the community because they thought that he misrepresented the town oh, of, Ode interesting. Of, of, of Odessa. Texas. Um, but it's, it's really, really great. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I read a little bit of everything, but I, I mostly read nonfiction. Yeah. You know, I, I, John Ireland, who I work with on the radio reads a lot of nonfiction and reads some nonfiction that I would never like, he read an 800 page book about the history of HPO. I'm, I'm like, I, there is no possible way <laughs> I am going to read an H uh, an HBO book that is 800 pages long. I'd read the abridged version, right? Like I don't read long books. This is going to make me sound really stupid. <laughs> I don't read long books. Like I will never read a book that is over 400 pages long. That's my cutoff. Um, cause I, I, I just don't want to spend, and I also like short chapters. I like short chapters and shorter books. And I don't like long books with long chapters. I long chapters really daunt me when I'm reading. I feel the same way. I, I'm a short chapter girl. Um, but it's so funny because I, when I was down in Florida recently, um, all of my sister-in-laws and even my mother-in-law, they all, they always have a book. Yeah. And we were talking about this show that started on stars called Outlander. Oh yeah. I've heard of Outlander. Yeah. I've never seen it. It's, it's great. Is it's it? such a great story. So I, my sister turned me on to it a couple of years ago and I watched most of the first season. And then I just, you know, I just stopped watching it because we started doing the podcast and, you know, just watching things, you know, based on guests that we have. And then just, you know, then shows like Succession come up and Barry and, and, and I just kind of deviated and I, and I put it aside. Right. When I was just in San Francisco with my sister, I started watching it again. Yeah. Um, and I, I picked up from where I left off. And I was like, it was like a drug. I could not stop watching really? it. So I was talking to my sister-in-laws about it. And they were like, oh, you have to read the books. There's like three books. And and then one of them says, yeah, they're like a thousand pages long. Oh, yeah. They no. said, oh, no, I, I can't. They said, you really need to read them. And I said, I, I, unless I'm like, you know, like <laughs> sick at home for like a month, <laughs> maybe. I said, but I just, uh, it's too daunting for me. Yeah, it is. It is for me too. I, and that makes me sound very, you know, anti-intellectual, but longer books discourage me. They discourage me. Um, yeah, I, by the way, I'm reading right now a, a series of books, a couple of books by Tom Parada, 
who wrote Election, which turned into the movie with Reese Witherspoon, which is, you know, a classic. Um, and then the follow-up to that is her all grown up. So the Reese Witherspoon character, who's named Tracy Flick, and it's called Tracy Flick Can't Win. And they are both like breezy, super funny, really a, a blast to read. So just a shout out. That's what I'm uh, that's what I'm reading right now. OK, I'm, I want to tell you the book I'm reading right now. OK, good. Yeah. Uh, it's called Harold. OK. And it's Stephen Wright's first book. Oh, Stephen Wright. Wow. Who I'm trying to get on the podcast. Oh, you would be fantastic. I know. Um it's a story about a six-year-old boy in elementary school, maybe probably in first grade, and it just takes place one day in class. Oh, just one day? That's what it is. Oh, that is so funny. And I know, I know two people that read it and said that it's amazing. So I just started reading it the other day, and I, I'm like, you know, like two pages. I just started to read just to get into it a little bit. Two pages in, and it's, it's great because it's Stephen Wright. Right. How long is it? <laughs> it's uh it's in your wheelhouse oh nice nice it's two it's 200 and change i think so i get so much shit um at the radio station about taking days off i'm sure you've heard this on the on on the air they they give me non-stop garbage trash over it so um today is my last day before i get a day off it's thursday may the 18th now the lakers are in the playoffs so it's it's not the greatest time to take a day off, but it's my theatrical agent's birthday in Palm Springs. And I promised I would go out there. And I did it months ago before I knew the Lakers were going to go all the way to the Western Conference Finals. I couldn't possibly have expected. But mm -hmm. I wanted to point out, and I won't do this on the radio. I'll do this just here. <laughs> uh, normally, 30 shows, 30 consecutive shows is my max. And then I need at least a day off. Now, do you have that in your contract that have, 30 days is a max? No, but I do have, I do have, um, again, just for here, seven weeks vacation in my contract. So That's I have a, a lot, lot of time, a lot of right. time to use. Right. Um, so in my head, I always think 30 days is the max. And then, you know, everything goes to hell and I don't do a good show and all that stuff. I am, as I take this break for just one day, I will have done. 49, yeah, 49 consecutive shows. So I'm way overdue for a day, way overdue for a day. So I'm really excited about it. Now, does everybody on the show, like especially John, I would yeah. think would have the same situation as you. Now, does John take vacation? He does take vacation. He also, again, just for here on the podcast, <laughs> he also, uh, because he's doing the Lakers games, a lot of days he won't do the show. So when I say 49 consecutive shows, what I'm really saying is uh, that I'm I'm doing the radio show every day. John will be on a plane and won't do the show or get ready for a Lakers game, won't do the show. So I do a lot of the heavy lifting on the radio show. So John has time away from the radio show where I um, uh, carry the, the load to a great degree. But I mean, he works unbelievably hard i mean he's he's working like crazy but yeah no i don't know i don't know his deal but he definitely does take vacation you're you're very lucky that you have the type of job where you can just take off like that like in the, all the jobs that i've ever had in my life um i i had to be present and not only present when i'm at work but present 
when I leave work. Right. You know, people calling me, people call me on the weekend, people calling me at night. Hey, what happened to the cut? Why didn't this, why wasn't this in the show? It went to the network. And I would never, ever like you. There's a whole corral of people that kind of float at ESPN. So, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, Ramona can come or the Kamenetskis can come in or someone can come in and fill your spot. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when I waitressed, I could always ask somebody, hey, can you take my shift? Take my shift. Yeah. But in the job that I've always done producing TV, I can't just like have somebody come in and pinch hit for me, you know, because they have to have been there and they have to have you know, like know the show and know the style. And, you know, I just can't, you know, I just, and even if it was a great producer, I couldn't just grab some random friend of mine. But here's what I, here's what I envy about your schedule. So you work unbelievably hard and you work on an individual project and work, but then you have time between projects, right? Most of the time. Yes. So what I would really like, and this is where, this is where I think You've got it. I mean, we're we're both really good, but you got it over me on this. Is that between projects? Like, I would like to go to Europe for a couple of months. Yeah, never going to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, go to go to uh, Greece and hang out for a couple of weeks, and not worry. I never get more than one week in a row. So that's the downside of it. I can't make those big trips. That sometimes, like you work on a movie, the movie ends. You go somewhere for a month and then you come back and then you work on another, like that kind of situation would be ideal. I always say, I'd like a sabbatical. I'd like to just have two months off just to, just to go and do, but I am not complaining in life. I have, I'm very, very fortunate and uh, I'm, my time off is valuable to me and I don't care how much shit they give me. I am going to continue to take those days. Damn it. And that's and that's my case. And that's my case. All right. So uh, our guest today is an actor who has appeared in films like Cloud Atlas and Interstellar. On television, he starred on shows like White Heat, the miniseries Containment, and Carnival Row for Amazon Prime. His new series is The Diplomat, starring Kerry Russell. David Jesse joins us. David, thank you so much for doing this. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having an interest. It's great. Well, we love the show, uh, The Diplomat, which is awesome. And uh, mm. But before we get to that, I'm kind of curious about your beginnings. I watched an interview with you where you said you wanted to grow up to be a footballer, a soccer player. How, how, good, for, how good were you? And when did the football dream die? And how did you take up acting? Um, so... Uh, how good was I in here and here? I was like, this is the next best thing. I I remember going to secondary school and thinking I'm probably the best footballer in the world. Um, (laughs) and, and so I'm definitely going to be the best in my year. And then I saw this, this lad, Daniel Benyon, just scoring all of these goals. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm the second best in my year <laughs> and then i saw gary selwyn doing the set and i thought okay maybe what top three is cool and then i saw and then i saw lee bennell now lee bennell was a genius of a football player um 
And so I thought uh, maybe, maybe top five. And then like my whole team was really good. Uh, so I was just lucky to be part of that team, but they were a particularly good set of football players. Um, so it was probably at that age of 11 where I thought, cause all of these guys were playing at, um, like uh, we call it like academies. I, I would imagine you have. Yeah, yeah, we've thing, got basketball right? academies and stuff like that. Tennis Danger. academies. Yeah, yeah. So they were playing for the local, like professional teams in their academies, and I was playing Sunday league. However, my coaches and my PE teachers and my mates thought I was pretty good, um, and I and I I enjoy it. I, you know, I learned a lot about being on on football pitches, on tennis courts, or basketball courts, on tracks and fields. Um, I learned a lot about being on a rugby field. I learned a lot about, um, about how to get along with people, how to manage different personalities. I've, I sort of found myself being um, cast or placed as, as the captain or vice captain in a lot of these teams. Um, so I learned a lot about that. But I remember being in, in university and in the rugby team at university. And I remember going out and trying to, you know, trying to hit all sorts of weight and pun and heat punishment upon this team and mm. then being required to have dinner with them afterwards and have civilized conversation. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, how to like have space for aggression, have space for discourse. Um, so I loved and appreciated a lot of that. Um, so around that time, around sort of secondary school education, university was where I started to think, maybe I'm not quite good enough to go professional. But, um, but I then discovered a passion for art and, um, and film. I did a podcast with my wife recently. I was just listening to it back and, I, and I was reminded it by listening to it back, how I'd fallen in love with black and white film and musicals um, in the holidays. I didn't really, I'd always sort of stumble across them halfway through and just be captivated. Um, so I think underneath this thing was happening, this by osmosis was with this transition and was, was, was happening during that period time what do you so growing up like what 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 did you watch you know did you watch a lot of american tv growing up did you know i did um i um would always uh there was a certain like quality to the film to the cameras that you used back in the day that i didn't really understand what that was but when i put the tv on i would just go oh, this is going to be good um, so there was, there was that from like your Jim Stewart's and your Terry Grant's that then these faces would pop up like, um, Sammy Davis Jr. Hmm. or, um, Sidney Poitier. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, and then later in my teens, just seeing myself reflected in like, you know, shows like, I don't know, from hanging with Mr. Cooper to like <laughs> the Cosby show to all of these things. And, um, and so feeling like I, I love that. And I, 
I want to emulate that. And um, so, yeah, it was equally a part of my influence as much as, and we didn't have so much. There were, there were people like I'd see um, uh, an actor called Eamon Walker or Patterson Joseph or Adrian Lester see like um, sort of smatter it like little speckles of them in TV and, and film, but not as much as what was coming from America. So, um, yeah, heavily influenced by what I saw from your from your side of the pond. There you go. So you were one of seven kids. Um, Six. Where Unless were you? Something you know. No, but yeah, I no. I I think it's seven. <laughs> they said uh, seven. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they say seven. I'm one of six. I'm one of six. One, one of six. six. Okay. Damn that Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> so where were you in the order of things? And then being from a big family, how does that play into yeah. sort of your success as an actor or does it? Good question. So I was, I'm number three. Um, hence being an actor. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Not the oldest, <laughs> not the youngest. Right in the middle. Um, and how does that play into my success? I remember growing up and just, I just remember banter being a massive part of our family. Um, and also just entertaining ourselves, you know, finding things funny. Um, uh, we're, we're quite a creative family, even though, you know, the majority of them do like sensible, reliable jobs, but when we're when we're all together, the jokes, the impressions, the banter, um, the references that, of things we've seen, it sort of comes back. So if I was to just sort of take a step out and just gaze upon my family, I think that that heavily influences how I even how I am as a cast member um, offset, you know, trying to just bring people together. And uh, I love the, the camaraderie of, of togetherness that you can find on the show. I love that. Did, were you, were you kind of the person in school? Cause I'm, I'm the youngest of five and um, oh, wow. so same thing with look at me, look at me, you know, um, mm-hmm. And my family too, same thing. Very, very funny. Uh, parents funny, kids funny. My parents' friends were funny. All of my relatives yeah. were funny. And I kind of took liberty in school to be that person too. And um, yeah. um, so I got called out a lot and I got in trouble a lot for making jokes. And um, what was, was that a, a similar path for you? I, I was a really cute kid. You wouldn't believe it now. <laughs> Um, oh. So the smile. <laughs> You're so unattractive smile. as an adult. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> um, I yeah, I used to, you know probably like you you lose you use jokes to cover up a lot, right? You know, if I was slightly behind in class or um, whatever. I also had the protection of my older brother. So my older brother was in the same school as me. So that allowed me to kind of, um, you know, do what I do what I wanted to, to a certain extent. I didn't have 
I didn't have a rep to protect, so to speak, because my brother took care of that. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm Godfrey's little brother. And now I'm going to go and do a dance class or do a, an acting club. Um, but I, I wouldn't say, you know, you'd have to ask my teachers. I remember going to parents' evenings and um, the, the the general thing was bags of potential if he, if he talked less. <laughs> and con- concentrated a little more um, was the general thing. Um, but I do remember, go back to your first uh, question, Steve. I do remember the first play I did at my secondary school. I remember my PE teacher calling me over in, uh, in PE and saying, well done, Jesse. Yes, very, very funny up there yesterday. Very funny. But you do know you're a much better sportsman than you are an actor, because he felt like I'm losing him. I'm losing him to the uh, to the dark side of the arts. Um, and I was like, yes, yes, yeah, yes, got that, sir, got that, and then ran off as I plotted my plan to become there you a, go. an actor. <laughs> so you worked with three legendary directors um, on on two films, the Wachowskis, uh, who did Cloud Atlas. Uh, yeah. which I, I mean, Lana, Lil, I'm a huge fan, uh, bound and the matrix movies. And, but I've always been curious. I've never talked to anybody in one of their movies. How, the, how do they work together as co-directors? How does that, how does that work? So I met them cause I'm not sure if Lily's back directing yet. Um, but I met them when they were very much working together and it was, fascinating uh because they finished each other's and they i i I remember they finished each other's thoughts Mm. not sentences like lana would be talking and then she would just and then lily would come in and say yeah because the thing is when you arrive this comes in and then that comes in and then Lana would say, yeah. And so the whole thing comes together beautifully. And I would just be like, wow, such impressive human beings. You know, it was the first time that I'd flown over to, to meet for a project, you know, they were in Europe at the time. I was filming something and it just might, my career had just started to there, there are moments where you gain a little bit more responsibility and I was just starting to gain more responsibility within projects and then suddenly this thing will you you know Lana and uh, Lily went by the name of Andy then so Lana and Andy would love to meet you would you would you fly over I was like yeah, yeah, of course. And then thinking to my wife, can we afford a plane jet? And they were like, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring you over. Um, and so I was a little bit, and naturally a little bit nervous about all of that. Um, however, they, I remember speaking with them probably for about 45 minutes about experiences and life hmm. and um, a little bit of politics funnily enough. Um, and that really made me go, Oh, these are, these are part of my tribe. And I would love to, I would love to join their 
fascinating, fabulous storytelling world. Um, and that would be, that would be part of the way they worked together, but the way they created such a safe environment for us to go and play. You know, I think that you can see by their, their work when you do that, that allows not only the visionaries to explore and push boundaries, but it allows the people that come to play within that field to do that. Um, exceptional people, exceptional people. Yeah, I would, I would, you know, it's funny. You talk to so many, we've talked to so many actors and I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think if we ever talked to anybody who I've actually worked with Woody Allen, but he, he's somebody who is on the other end of the spectrum. He doesn't really apparently give his actors a lot, you know, they just, um, and, and I guess creatively maybe he, he, he allows them to just be, but I would think at some point you, 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 as an actor, I would think you would kind of want direction. (laughs) Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, I mean, I mean, have you, have you worked with, with directors that just kind of, kind of took a little more of a backseat as a director than you would have expected them to do? Yeah, I have. And I kind of, you know, I've learned to operate under both systems really. And I, and I kind of respect and appreciate both of them because, um, I, I find the sort of building of a character quite a sacred space for me, you know, and it's quite an intimate space for me and that, that character to, to, or, for me to explore that character and try and figure out what what their secrets are and what makes them tick. So it's really helpful if you have a writer that's like, here's what I was thinking at this point, or this is where I think they may have grown up, or this is something key that happened in their past. It's wonderful, but I'll often take that information away and then just let it percolate. Um, so sometimes when you have a director that's, a bit more on a back seat and just allows you some space to explore and play. That can be quite freeing. Um, equally, um, when you, when you find that it's about communication and connection, right? So if you've connected with someone and you're able to communicate freely, sometimes you're communicating in the silence a bit like Lillian, and Lana, right? And mm-hmm. and sometimes um, you you have a you develop a shorthand. So it really depends on on your synergy with that person or your understanding with that person. But I've definitely I, I like the TV format is really interesting because quite often you'll do two episodes with one director and then a new and then a new director will come in and you have to learn a completely new way of communicating. And just when you get up to speed with that, they're gone and then another one comes in. So um yeah, interestingly enough, I I had just come off a show before doing this one, and partly be- for, because of that reason, I was desperate to do a play or a film where I just have the same person for the whole journey, you know, and um, and also know the know the arc before. <laughs> before starting know where it was going to end with tv 
sometimes only know the, the, the next two episodes and just don't know where you're going off the Right, so, right. Yeah. So you also worked with, and I think this guy is, for me, one of the 10 greatest film directors that has ever lived, uh, Christopher Nolan with Memento. And I think The Dark Knight is, you know, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Tell me about the set of a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, meticulous. Hmm. Meticulous. Can I, can I give it that? Is that too? So why I pause with that word is I've never known a set like it to start when we start. If it says 7 a.m., we're rolling at 7 a.m. Hmm. Um, everything is, is pushed to the limit. So, you know, when we, when we shot Interstellar, some of those, some of those scenes in space, they had organized a sort of panoramic screen in this studio that covered the whole studio. Hmm. Now, our, our windows in our spaceship were like here, here, and here. So you could have just covered those. Right. Whole thing. And I think we all felt travel sickness at some point, <laughs> the way it was moving and the way the things were moving. Um, you know, the interiors of the ice planet, we, so we shot the exteriors in Iceland and then we hired a massive freezer in downtown Los Angeles and shot the interiors in a freezer. So the breath when we were talking was, wow, was wow that's brilliant. Um, so I find that level, but you know, that's, that's what's interesting, isn't it? When you, when you work with people who go, how can we go further and how can we keep mining for the truth of this and what, what's beneath that and what, um, what comes up, what, what are we, what, what are we saying when the more that we mine, what do we discover? Um, and I, I'll share this with you, the pseudonym for the script, because it wasn't called Interstellar when I read the script, but it was, um, it was called Flora's Letter. Hmm. His daughter's name's Flora. She was a love letter to his daughter. Yeah. And that mining, that mining, that mining was like, what does that look like? And, you know, underneath that, does love, you know, go but is it is it relative to time or does it go beyond that does do memories live all of that so that's what i'd say about that um i think i think it's there's balance right because you might work at that level and other people maybe more sort of nine to five all equal and all beautiful we're all different in the way that we work so um it's yeah it's interesting that i guess for chris and for emma to find their tribe of people that work like that all together um i personally loved it and um would, would love to dance again but um yeah that's what i'd say about about him 
Yeah, it must be, you know, because you, you, you go from like one set with a group of actors and then you go to a, another set with a completely different group of actors who, you know, maybe not all work the same. Like you said, I mean, some actors are method yeah. actors or some actors or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you throw a different type of director in the mix. Is it, it in between doing films or TV series? Um, is there kind of a period where you need to kind of like kind of decompress a little bit before you go into the next project because it is that different? Yeah, I think, um, I don't even know if I decompress because, uh, and I'm thinking how different the next project will be. I think when you throw yourself into one project, it's just good to just step away if you can. I know that, you know, the artist life, we, we quite often don't have that choice. You've got to be back on, on the grind, back on the hustle. But, um, for me now it's really important to just decompress step away let that go especially this this current job which is all consuming you know um the political speak the research the words the dialogue the yeah. interplay all of it um i you know, one of the reasons I chose it was because I didn't feel like I'd have time for anything else whilst I was filming it. And that felt somewhat akin to the idea of doing a film or a theater piece, you know, it felt like that's what I, that's what I needed. To, that's a box I needed to check. But then what I found after season one was guys don't call me. I'm, I'm out. I'm going to Ghana for a couple of months and then I might pass through Seoul in LA, New York. And then, um, yeah. And then, and then suddenly we were picked up and we're back on it. But, um, I, yeah, I think that's the case. Then there are some other jobs where, you know, um, like I've been on some jobs, which are so far, like in another genre, that actually, you know, maybe the book I'm reading, if I'm doing fantasy, the book I'm reading might be an autobiography. But so then if a script comes along that's so far away, sometimes my artistic body and soul is like, oh, that would be, that would be really interesting to go and jump into, delve into that world as well. Um, I think it's just, it's just listening to yourself, but generally, if you can, um, uh, a, a decompress a decompression gap is is a real luxury and and a necessity maybe so i want to talk about the diplomat uh on netflix and which you were just talking about and i want to do mm. it in a particular way that's very very selfish um because i have not seen the last two episodes of season oh, one wow okay so they're dangling out so i want to be very careful <laughs> We will respect your selfish requests. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, creator, writer, Deborah Khan, uh, she's written a lot about politics. She wrote uh, on the West Wing. She wrote on Homeland. And as you said, you're dealing with geopolitical issues and interpersonal issues, all this, all this stuff. Um, what is it like in this genre? And do you... Under, okay, so I'll, I'll be honest with you. So I do I do a lot of radio. I do a lot of uh, sports talk for ESPN. And a lot of times I find myself just saying words. 
and not mm. necessarily completely understanding. Uh, and I'm wondering, did you do the research behind all of the words that you're talking, especially the political terms and that political speak? Did you have to do mm. all that research to to sort of get down to it? Um, I I did personally, yeah, uh, because just I when I first when I first sort of made the decision to become an actor, um, the play that convinced my dad in particular that that was a good idea was um, uh, The Tempest. Mm. And I was cast as Prospero as a like 17 year old or whatever. And, um, and I remember being cast as this part. And I said to my lecturer at the time, I sort of waited behind class. I said, are you sure you've got that right? Because I, I don't know anything about Shakespeare. And he looked at me and he, there was like anger in his face. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, right. Two things. Never ever question me again when I make a decision like that, hmm. which I thought was a bit harsh. Uh, that's a bit like maybe God complex issues. Yep. And, then, <laughs> and then, and then secondly, he said, open the page. And so I opened it and said, read that sentence. And so I read it. I said, what do you think that means? And I gave him my reading of it. I can't remember what the line was because I can see that you're going, what was the line? What was the line? I can't remember what it was. He said, what's your reading of it? I said, I think this. And then I suddenly was aware of his kind of northern accent. And I was aware that quite often certain work we have been excluded from there's certain parts of England that it's like oh this work is for you and and he his passion came from the fact that someone like me was going are you sure I should be in this room and he was like you absolutely should be and then when I gave him my reading he was like that's exactly what it means and it's even more than what I thought it meant so he said, you absolutely have this. You just have to go away. And every sentence, you make sure you understand what that means. And then you fight to tell that story. So it's how I learned to work. Hmm. So not only the words, but for me, the gaps in between. Why is he pausing? What's he thinking when that person's saying that? What is the interplay? And that for me is where the interest is. Because otherwise the words it becomes background noise but if there is if there is fuel beneath that if there's no strength or meaning some of the politicians that i interviewed i was saying to to someone the other day what was interesting about some of them is i felt like when i was talking to them their constituents were in the room with me hmm. they carried the need of the people they represented. And then there were others where it was clearly they were there for themselves. Hmm. What can I get out of this? And they were charming and played the game beautifully. And there were others that swore like troopers and every single thing that they were saying meant a lot to people. And I think Benison is, 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 has that. You know, I think he cares about who he represents. So it, it is important. Um, yeah, it's important, I think. 
So Carrie Russell um, is everybody in the cast is is phenomenal. The chemistry is yeah. just it's just so much fun to watch. And you know, you yeah. talk about you know um, the 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 gaps, the moments where the silences and things like that. And something that I always that I always look for is what actors are doing when the camera is on them, but they don't have dialogue. And there's, and, and, and that's what I feel with this show. Everybody, everybody is just so locked in, you know, and so interesting, even when they're not talking. But I, I brought up Carrie Russell because I know she's an executive producer on the series. Um, what, how does she use, does she use, what is she, how does she use that role as an, as an actress? I mean, is she EPing when, when, uh, when, when you're shooting? Um, Yes, yes is the answer to that, and and again, why I pause is because it's it's not done with a a massive placard in front of her or a, a name badge on her head, but I've I've learned leadership from her in a way that I have not experienced before, and um, I've worked with some of the great leaders in our in our industry in terms of leading men and women and and um i've learned from her i just think her generosity is beyond um and that makes for such wonderful kind of encouraging and supportive spaces for actors to step into you know because it is a lot of political speaker as, as you quite rightly said steve and so there's um there's an element of bravery as you enter into those big monologues and then start speaking and hopefully it makes sense. And so you need leaders around you that are going to be nurturing and encouraging. And I would say for me, that's what I see. Um, And then just my gosh, her endurance and her stamina. Uh, I kid you not of all the filming days that we had, and we had a lot I reckon she may have had one or two off every, every block wow. last season. Wow. Um, and it was just relentless. Her, her energy, um, her focus, her laughter, her, her humility. Um, so, yeah, uh, leading from the front. And it, and it is a great, it's just, I'm not just saying it, it's a great place to come to work. It's a really good environment. We, we had a, a read through yesterday for the, the first two episodes of the next season. And it was palpable what, what you could feel in the, in the room, which was um, just that everyone felt like it was a real privilege to be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's top you know, the thing I love about the show is that one of the things I love about the show is that Carrie Russell plays a woman with power. Um, and she is, she's kind of a badass. I mean, generally speaking, watching yeah, the yeah. show, she's always the smartest person in the room, I think, uh, which yeah. is cool because you don't normally see shows like that. You know what I mean? Um, we, we had this kind of amazing evening the other night where we were invited to 
the um, ambassadors, your ambassadors' residence in London, which is this beautiful home cool. in Regent's Park. And your ambassador looks so glamorous in a lovely yellow suit that she said her daughter had sent her to wear. And her hair was beautifully coiffed. Would we know the ambassador? Would we know who it is? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you would know, and I should know her name. We can look up her name. Okay, we'll we do that. Figure that out. We will do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you would be forgiven for thinking that, you know, you're getting one image of this kind of all-American, blonde-haired lady. Um, and then in the Q and A, she proceeded to tell us about her time working in, in Paris. And after she arrived, they had Charlie Hebdo. They had terrorist attacks nearly every week, having to deal with that. She spoke about how befriending different people in peacetime. She said she'd, she'd get back to America and people say, oh, my gosh, Paris, London, did you have lots of parties? And she said, I wanted to reach across the table and strangle them because, you know, in her time in, in London, she's been here two and a half years. She's seen three prime ministers, mm. however many chancellors, however yeah. many foreign secretaries. Um, the war in Ukraine has broken up. You know, how she said, like, in peacetime, making those connections so that when that call comes and it does come at 3 a.m., that's not the time to start building connections. That's the time where you take advantage of the shorthand that you have. Um, and I think that the diplomat does that very well, actually, in sort of shedding a light on the people that are working, that are doing the, you know, the, uh, is it the proverbial, the, the duck, the legs under the water? You right, know, that, uh, right. It looks like the glide, but underneath it's, just doing that you know um so yeah and and i think kerry and deborah's writing embodies that really really well um and yes. i think it is ambassador jane d hartley the u.s ambassador yes. to the united kingdom yes jane d hartley i'm gonna google and just look at her picture but yeah that that is that's right I'm going to, I'm, I'm not even going to Google. I'm going to confidently say that's who it is. Yes, I and, believe and it is. I believe it is. From your face. description, she face. matches. I, I would okay. think that it, it, it's got to be, you know, such a difficult gig. The fact that, you know, you're going into someone else's country, you know, um, and, you know, there's always that question like, you know, whose best interest do you have in mind? Do you have the United States? Do you have Great Britain or, or wherever you are? I know your job is to be a diplomat and to be diplomatic, yes. but, yes. um, yes. Um, how, how, how is this woman, uh, our ambassador, uh, how is she perceived by, by the British? So there was this really interesting question she got asked, which I think was by Deborah Khan. And she said, We've had varying degrees of approaches from recent administrations, shall we say? Yes, yes. And recent administrations, despite what some, some members of the US community may think, 
have left an impression on the rest of the world. And so Deborah said, what do you do when you go into countries and there is an impression about the US which may not align with your idea of what the US is. I'm going to even give you another story and then come into her answer because I think this is, I thought it was so powerful. So Deborah's mother or nan was from Poland and her first interaction was American soldiers coming in and defeating the Nazis. And so her idea of America was one, how handsome these men were that came and rescued me. And that was what was filtered down to Deborah. Then Deborah got to university and saw different sides of the American coin. Um, and so she said, what do you do when some of these other sides are being flaunted about? And we might want to, we might want to hold on to or promote or pour fuel into the other sides, which are similar to the soldiers that came in and were a force for good. And Jane said, after the last administration, there's a flaw in, I think, the White House, which was like, or somewhere, the seventh floor, she said, which used to be in the, not the last administration, the one before, used to be packed with young diplomats who were trying to promote this side of America, trying to, to, you know, aiming for the dream that America is, uh, the, the, or the dream that America has. I don't think it's been realized that dream, right? So they're aiming for that. And it was packed. She said in the last administration, she went onto the seventh floor and it was empty because the last administration had fired a lot of these people. Mm. And so she said, what do you do? And so as a diplomat, you sort of take that news and you, you hold on to what you, what you believe, what is good. She had another person there who was an incredible host and he was telling me about the relationships he had built, especially with East Asia. He had, um, he'd learned to speak Japanese and working under the last administration. All of these skills were, were seen as kind of, um, surplus to requirements but he just kept these relationships going saying look that's that's an opinion it's not mine and it's not a lot of people that i work with but here let's let's keep this relationship going because i think it's important i think it's important globally i think it's important domestically and so i met a sea of these people that actually i think if you were in the room and i may be making assumptions but i felt very proud of them and i know that the the american members of our cast and crew and um and others that were there felt very proud of what was being discussed in that room and there was a certain level of hope in in that room so 
I hope that answers your question yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Well, look, I consider this conversation to be the perfect way to get ready for the final two episodes of season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited about it, especially after Good. after talking to you. Um, the season one is uh, out now on Netflix. As you mentioned, already picked up for season two and getting ready to go into production. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. And thank you so much for doing this, man. We appreciate it. It's been great. Thanks so much. It was a real joy. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. There you have it, David, Jesse. And, uh, you know, just after that conversation, I think I would be an excellent diplomat. What do you think? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're laughing that long on yes. this one? Yes, <laughs> really? I am. You're continuing to laugh? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm just picturing you in any scenario where you would have to be a diplomat. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I think I think you may get fired on your first day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, well, thank you for that vote of confidence. I'm going to cross that off my bucket list. Diplomat off the bucket list. I don't think that's your, I mean, look, you know, um, I think you'd be a lot of fun. I would. I'd be the fun diplomat. <laughs> you would be the fun. You, you may not get the job done. I'd be the stone be a, diplomat. <laughs> exactly. There'd be a lot of laughs. <laughs> a lot of laughs. <laughs> Uh, well, David was great. If you have not seen The Diplomat, and obviously I've got two episodes left, I would I wanted to be honest about that. I have two yeah, episodes yeah. left. Um, it is uh, it's great. It's season one is out, and and as he said, season two is shooting. If you are not yet doing this, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just go to YouTube and search Culture Pop Podcast, and it should pop right up for you. Um, and subscribe so you can get the uh, pictures that go along with the words. Obviously, we're still on Spotify. We're still on Apple. And now we've added a YouTube component so you can see the guests and watch the conversation as it uh, as it takes place. Sue, this has been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So I was thinking um, because sometimes we have great conversation after the interview. Yes. To keep recording. Yeah, I guess we really should. Because that was fun. We missed the whole tea thing. He taught us how to make tea. I know. And how, and he's an excellent coffee barista, apparently, too. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. he does it all. He does yeah. it all. You're right. We got to keep rolling. Got to okay. keep rolling. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate you. Thank you a lot for watching. We appreciate you, too. Uh, don't forget, uh, subscribe on uh, all of our social media channels. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Podcast.